0: Welcome to Voices of Esalen. I'm Sam Stern. Today, I'd like to share with you some personal thoughts in the wake of the killing of George Floyd and the subsequent cultural uprisings in our nation. I and all the other members of the small team who produce Voices of Esalen are dedicated to diversifying the voices who represent our show. We are making a purposeful stance at this moment to dedicate a significant portion of upcoming programming to exploring issues of systemic racism, power, and entrenched privilege with the goal of cultural healing and cross-cultural understanding. To this end, you will hear more from people of color, particularly black speakers and leaders. My goal is to use this podcast not only as a vehicle for personal growth, which is what it has been to date, but as a platform for anti-racism. And what that means to me is to go beyond a stance of neutrality around racism, where I'm obviously against it, but not really doing anything specifically to combat it, and move into a proactive stance. Here, I hope to have the difficult conversations, I hope to voice the uncomfortable issues, and I know this is a work in progress. I guarantee it will be awkward at some moments. I guarantee I will make mistakes, but my pledge is to come to the table with honesty, with humbleness, with a willingness to listen, and most of all, a willingness to learn. Thank you.
1: And I am to be as as clear as I can to people. There's no room for people to be in neutral to say, I am not racist. We need people who are saying I'm anti-racist because the, the neutral is on the side of the people who have the power. And as a society that has created what it has created where we are right now, we need people who are saying, I'm against this. I'm not going to silently say it to my friends or my one friend. I'm going to say it so people know. And it's it's not to brag or boast. It's to say, I want this world to be different.
0: Today's guest, Ashanti Branch, is from Oakland, California. In 2004, as a first year teacher, Ashanti started the Ever Forward Club to provide a support group for African-American and Latino males who are not achieving to the level of their potential. Since then, the Ever Forward Club has helped 100% of its members graduate high school, and 93% of them have gone on to attend college. A former Fulbright scholar, Ashanti was named 2010 Teacher of the Year from the Alameda Contra Costa County Math Educators, and today he spoke to Esalen's Greg Archer about his life, what it has been like to be a black male in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, and the 100,000 Mask Challenge.
2: Ashante, welcome. Hello,
1: thank you, Greg. Good to be here with you.
2: It's great that you are here uh, with us today. I really appreciate your time and appreciate the work that you do in the world, which is uh, dynamic and you are a true change agent. So uh, it's, it's great to see what you're doing. And um, I'm looking forward to sharing that with, with folks that are tuning in to this interview. Uh, So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so, um, you know, this is a a fascinating time and a curious way to begin a new decade um, with first the pandemic and then the events of the last two weeks uh, with the death of George Floyd. Um, There is so much going on and so much uh, opportunity for us to pause and reflect. Uh, I wanna ask you, how has this time been for you? you know,
1: particularly the last two weeks? You know, for me, I think um, I always have to take a deep breath before I even start talking about it because I think it's so heavy and so rich. Um, I think for the big part of it, I was not able to, to breathe. Like, like, literally, I was having a, such a hard time with it. I definitely wasn't sending any videos or making any posts. I was, I was almost um, stunned. And I and I hadn't even watched it. Like I, I knew what happened, and I saw a little small clip, but I I not even bring my see, still to this day. I have not yet watched the video. Eight minutes and forty six seconds. I just I, I, I don't even think I have it in me yet to watch it. Um, I can just feel it by just the image. Um, I've read a transcript of his words, calling for his mom, like saying you like I I just was in disbelief in to what I saw. And I think that what I had to do was just kinda of go in first and really feel like where I'm feeling. Cause I was enraged. I was I could feel why cities around the world and definitely around the country were on fire. I what I was seeing on the T V was reflecting what I was feeling inside. And as a person who does this work for healing, for health of, of our communities, I I want people to also understand whether they can deeply empathize. I think I was just like, why are people not even getting it? Why are people confused? Why are people changing the message? Why are people trying to make it mean something else? And I think that what I've been able to do over these last couple of weeks is I finally found my voice around it, is to be able to speak in a way for myself. I I, I don't claim to speak for any other people. I, I know what I do. I do research and talking to people all over the world. I talk to men, women, children around these masks we wear. I ask a lot of questions. I have a lot of data that I've learned from, but well, I don't claim here to say I speak for all black men, but I do know that the men who I've spoken to are feeling we've never had permission to feel. We're told that our feelings weren't validated, that they're not, they're not valid, and we don't have the right to feel that, that we shouldn't feel it because what happened to us was so many years ago, as if nothing has carried over <laughs> and there's no residual trauma, there's no resi- I just think that people have been misled in, in, in their understanding of not only history of this country, but what does it mean to work hard and what does it mean to, to have, a, have a legacy already built for you or to grow into a, a legacy that was built that said you your value is so little. So I think I've been just finally finding my voice. I've been getting to a place where I can talk about it because for so long. One of my interns last week asked me, he said, Branch, why haven't you been posting on Instagram, you know? Uh, like Unfortunately, I'm the, I'm the social media person, which probably shouldn't be the case. But he said, why haven't you been posting? I'm like, yeah, that's a great question. I said, I, I, I haven't known what to say. I have so much to say that I don't know what to say. And I, I think I err on the side of let me just think. Let me, be, let me be quiet for a minute. And so I had to do some quiet time. And and now I'm, I'm coming back. And now I'm ready. And now I'm speaking what I think. and so. That's where I'm at right now. I'm I'm in a glad place of being able to start talking about it in a way for myself. That really is um, trying to be clear and and helping people to see things in a different way if they're willing.
2: The willingness, I think, yeah, there's something about the willingness component, right? I I wanted to ask you, uh, I was originally gonna ask you what you felt this time during the pandemic uh, was tempting to teach us because uh, this is when we sort of scheduled things and then things shifted. But uh, what do you think this time collectively may be attempting to teach us? Because there's a lot of lessons that are being brought forth, uh, I think, for us to consider
1: learning. Yeah, I, I imagine like we're talking about, um, I imagine we're in two pandemics at a time. <laughs> we we have two pandemics going on. We have the, the corona pandemic and we have the the racial divide pandemic that has been going on for so long that was under the surface that was for some people were feeling it every day. Some people were able to ignore it and the world was able to say, Oh, Oh, they're, they're past that. That was, that, that happened 400 years ago. There's no, there's no more of that happening. And I think that what we're, what, what the world is recognizing is that the change is inevitable in many contexts. I think some people may have thought that people would like, like us imagine there's, there's a story. Let me tell you the story. Let me tell you the story. Please. Quick story. So, um, there's this man walking down this old country road, like he's just, you know, taking a stroll, and he hears this dog howling, like howling, like, woo, like howling, like a dog would howl, right? <laughs> like he's like, what's going on? Like where? What's going on? So as he keeps walking, the the howling gets louder and louder, and he's like, something's going on. I think an animal is hurting or something. So he looks over, and there's a porch with an old man in a rocking chair. And there's a dog sitting next to him howling like the dog is like in serious pain. So he's wondering, is the man deaf? Does the man not hear? So he walks over, um, sir, excuse me. Sorry to bother you. Um, do you know that your dog is howling? He's like, Oh yeah, he's howling, but, uh, I, I can hear it. He's like, well, the man says, well, why is he, why is he howling? And the old man says, well, cause he's sitting on a nail <laughs> and the man says, Okay, um, I think I'm more confused now. Like, if he's sitting on the nail and he's just howling, why doesn't he move? And the old man said, because it doesn't hurt him enough. Hmm. And so I think that what's happened is that people, and we've been howling and howling and howling, and we've just been sitting and just howling. And I think what happened is that finally, it hurt too much to ho- ho- keep howling. Like, there, a move had to be changed. A move had to be made. And I think that that's what the world is seeing right now, that this has been going on for years. This has been, this is, imagine before cell phones. Imagine before there was a phone where you could record what was happening. We were telling people that they're killing us, they're beating us, they're being rude and disrespectful to us. Like, let's say forget rude and disrespectful. Let's say evil, evil, <laughs> racist. And, like, whatever, the fact that we can now see it it's even more difficult for some people because now they, they have a hard time even trying to deny the fact that it's actually happening. It was happening. And so what's happening is there's a move happening that, that, that there's a movement happening that says, I'm not going to howl anymore. I'm going to make a move because the howling wasn't making it better. The howling wasn't getting any action to happen. And so uh, and I'm not trying to compare any, movement to a dog but I think that the story about the dog is really just a connection to understand that there's a move has to be made if you want something to change you got to make a move and I think that the the young people are taking a lead on this and saying we are about to change this and um and the people who are stuck in their old ways they're going to have to get out of the way
2: it's well put I mean do you do you see this as
1: a significant sea change do you see that we are in the midst of a significant sea change yeah i, I think I, I think what's about to happen I, you know I, I i saw this coming a long time ago like in my mind um i saw it coming a long time ago in my mind the young people i talk to the work that we do all these masks from around the world people are walking around smiling happy okay i'm good everything's great and what's going on behind the mask is sadness fear depression anger frustration feeling like there's no way out and there's only so much that people can handle. And I I felt it coming. And I was like, okay, I'm just hoping that, you know, I, 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 the the people outnumber any type of forces that are out there. The people, once the people say it's enough is enough, then things are going to change. And I think what's happening with all politicians and people who are making these decisions, I think ultimately they're realizing, Oh man, like the people are serious now. Like they're not letting up. And what's happening is, you know, you know, in the 60s, when they did the bus boycott, that was 360 plus days. Like, it wasn't just a weekend re- revolution. It was, we're gonna show you that we're serious, we mean business, and I think what's happening now that our young people have access to technology and messaging, that the world is seeing that we're not gonna do it silently, that it's gonna happen and we're gonna have to make a move. And those people who have been sitting in their offices, uh, incumbent for years i don't care what party they're with if you're not doing the work to help make this better like what's happening is all these 18 year olds who are who are letting you know we're voting we're voting and if you don't step up and take care of the right business then you're gonna have to just deal with the, 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 those consequences and i think that i think it's a new world this you know it's a new world like you know you look at the images of the, the bus boycotts and the marches, like those are black and white stills and a few little grainy videos. But now, as you can see, you can just go to any channel and you see people with their, de- with their devices. And these are the individual media people who get to see here's what's happening right here. Here's what's happening right here. As before, we just had to like tell somebody and hope that they would tell our story. Now we can tell our own story. And I think that that's what the young people are doing. I'm really thankful for the young people. Like I'm not old, but I'm older. Right, I mean, I was on a march the other day, and I was like, they did a stop to let the back group catch up, and I was like, I'm glad we done. And then they were like, we're we're going more, and I'm like, Mom. I was like, okay, you know, I, but I deep down, my, my body was hurting. I was like, this is this requires an investment. It requires an investment in energy and time and love, and it, it has to be uh, it has to be a, 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 a effort of a, of a community coming together to say. We, we're not gonna, we can't handle this anymore. We can't, we're not gonna just scream, but we are gonna move. And, um, and I'm glad to see the moving happen. Making
2: movement, taking an action, that really resonates. I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, uh, it's it's such a a rich time to, um, to move forward. And it seems that there's something really going on right now. I appreciate the way that you've eloquently stated all the things that you did about that. Uh, I wanted to touch about, uh, touch upon, uh, what it was like for you growing up in Oakland and and your your journey um to Cal Poly and, and San Luis Obispo and and uh moving into all sorts of other things which we'll talk about in a moment but what, what was it like for you um as a youth in Oakland and um you had a, a single mother who raised you and uh, was very strong and so I was hoping you could talk to us more about that
1: yeah you know I was um Thank you for that. I, you know, I get to bring my mom into the story. My mom is a big part of my life still. Uh, I am thankful for her. Uh, she had me when she was 22. She gave up her youth, you know. Her, uh, when I was 22, I, there was no way I was gonna have no child, you know. So I was like, I'm enjoying my freedom. <laughs> I was in, you know. I, so my mom, you know, she was going to school. She um, was pregnant with me, and she she didn't just give me over to someone else. She she took care of me, you know. She raised me. Right, and she didn't just neglect me, you know. And I see a lot, of, anyway, I've been talking to go, the talk general, let me go back to my, my story. Um, so we, were, we struggled, we struggled. My father died before I was born. Um, my, my, my father loved my mom, my mom loved my dad. Um, but unfortunately, due to somebody, I'm lacing some, some 1970s marijuana with some, some other chemicals my his heart couldn't handle it and he died. And so I grew up in a world where I didn't even get a choice of like what world I grew up into. I had a new situation. He died literally three months before I was born. My mom was like, wait, I thought I had two parents to help raise this boy, and now I got to do it by myself? Like, I think um, I'm just thankful for her. And um, so I, you know, growing up you know, in Oakland, Oakland was was rough, you know, you know, it's, it's a very good, it's a very city where, you know, it's gonna test you. Oh, you live in this male body, you better prove you're a man, you better prove it, and I was, told at seven years old, I was a man of the house. So I was, I grew up early believing that my responsibility was to like, be tough and be strong and be in charge. And I was taking care of my siblings. Like I, I didn't, my childhood got taken by new children being added to my family. Like I was taking care of my siblings. Like I, so I think that growing up, I started early being responsible for others. And I and i think that the idea of, uh, of us being not having a lot, I mean, when I really began to feel it when, when we were in struggling times, like, I had to go in the store with this these food stamps and this money that is monopoly money looking. Like it's like fake looking money, you know? So everyone knows behind you what kind of money you got cuz it ain't it comes out of a little booklet you got to tear it out. It's like certificates <laughs> it's like it, it even sounds different, right? It's like it, it, it was fake, right? And so I would like take a long time in the store. I'd be like oh you can go ahead of me. I remember just feeling ashamed and feeling like man, I remember getting, you know, free Cheese and free peanut butter, like peanut butter that you can't even spread, right? Like, just I think about those old stories of like trying to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but peanut butter that rips the bread. Like, like, what I feel it right as I tell a story, right? Like, why us? why can't we get the smooth peanut butter? Like it was just what we had and we just made the most of it. And I think looking back, it all had to happen to be for me to be able to tell the stories and to be who I am today. But while it was happening, it was horrible mm. while it was happening. It was sad and it was frustrating. And so I think that I just, my, my vision was that when somebody told me that there was a way out, like if you work hard and go to college and get a good job and make a lot of money then you can live happily ever after. I was like, I'm a math person. I, I can, that's all day long. That's all day long. I got, I can follow those instructions, work hard, go to college, get a good job, make a lot of money, live happily ever after. And I was really good at math. So I'm like, I'm following the formula. So I go off to school. I mean, it, it wasn't a smooth ch- journey, but I went through the process. Middle school is when I got my act together because I was on the wrong road. And finally, a teacher changed my life. And I went off to college. And then, um, you know, I may, I'm, I'm speeding the story a long time. I mean, I'm speeding a long story really short, but when I going to college was a big deal, right? Making it to, making it to 18 was a big deal in my community. You made it to 18, most young men, you were like, hmm, are we gonna, who's going who's to make it? Who's going to make it of us to 18, right? Because imagine that when that's a surprise. You know, I was already in college when I turned 18. I mean, I, I turned 18 in college. So I was 17, graduating high school, and I came home for Christmas break. That's when I turned 18 and we, my friends, we went on a little celebration, right? Cause it was like, you made it to 18. Not only did you make it to college, that wasn't even the first celebration. It was like, you made it to 18 because living where we lived, there was such a, it was so, it was so tense and, and challenging. And so going off to college and graduating engineering and then coming back to, you know, the Bay Area making money, it was like, oh, wow, you, you fulfilled the dream, you know? And depending on how deep you want to go in the story, like I just realized that I thought I was following the dream to have happiness ever after. But once I was making the money, I wasn't happy ever after. I was happy at happy hour. <laughs> I was having Friday about 5 p.m., maybe 4.30, happy hour starts. Sunday around 7 p.m. It's like, oh, i am got to go back to work. And so you're like, all right, well. And yeah. then the journey
2: external thing out there doesn't you know it's the money the job that all that out there really doesn't really it's it's the inner work right uh, i'm curious what is your mother's name my mother's name is glenna glenna it's beautiful yeah. and what was the name of the teacher you said that
1: really helped you
2: shift things
1: yeah miss bp miss BP. bp yeah miss bp miss bartlett preston miss bp was my English teacher, I hated English. I, you know, I did the work because I liked her. I was I was actually, I had a crush on her probably, but I don't know. I just remember I would have done anything she asked me to do, even though I hated English. But I remember one day, some kid put a tack in my chair and I, when I sat on it, <laughs> I yelled, right? Because I, I don't, I don't, I don't hold pain so, so toughly, right? So I sat on this tack. I'm like, ah, screamed out loud. She's like, what's wrong with you? Yelling out of my class. I'm like, there's a tack in my chair. And she was like, I'll see you after school for detention. I was like, what? How dare you give me detention when it's not even my fault? So I came to detention because I knew that she would call my house if I didn't. And um, there's one thing. One, I'd rather go to any detention that has somebody calling my house and making <laughs> my, home, my home life more chaotic than it already was. And so um, I show up to her detention. She's yapping. And she said one sentence that changed my life. She said, um, life doesn't give you what you want. Life gives you what you get. And you gotta make the most of it. And that sentence changed my life. Like that sentence is what made all the difference. And I remember that I don't know if it was the next day or the next week, but teachers were like, Ashanti, are you okay? Like, you're really paying attention. Like you're really doing <laughs> you're really doing the work. I'm like, this work was never hard. It wasn't that the work was hard. I didn't care about the work. I had my own problems in my own life to think about and thinking about your stupid history or social studies or who cares about that stuff. I got I got my own social stuff I need to study in my own house that's a chaos mess. I got a lot of history in my own house I need to deal with. I don't care about these dates, some some whatever, right? And so that's how when I got my act together, it all changed. Because I was like, okay, school is my ticket out. If I'm going to make my father proud, I was like, you know what? He didn't get to see me, but I'm going to make sure that whatever I do, that I make him proud. And that's how I changed my context that day or in the next couple of weeks because it all changed after that. Wow, and what was your father's name? My father's name was Delta Delta huh? Branch. Love yeah. that. Yeah.
2: I think it's fascinating how one person can really help change or shift our perspective and uh, really change a, a little bit of the path or a lot of the path that we walk on, right? And what a great teacher um, she was. Wow. Yeah. Um, you and were, I try,
1: and I, I used that. I tried to use that st- that phrase she used on me. I probably used it. Several hundred times. <laughs> Every once in right. a while it works. And then I have to make up my own phrases. I'm like, okay, let me say it my own way. And and, and this I think is why I became a teacher. I think it's deep down all these seeds that were planted were all the seeds that helped bring me to today. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, you were a first year teacher, uh, if I recall correctly, when you began the Ever Forward Club. Yeah. And so what was going on with you then as a first year teacher? And when did it hit you like, oh, I'm doing that?
1: I'm doing <laughs> well i was failing first of all i i didn't i didn't po- <laughs> I, I didn't know i wasn't planning to start a nonprofit. i mean you know i'm i went from an engineering career to a teaching career my salary dropped by 66 percent i remember the first check i thought that it was an error i had to call hr i'm like hey uh what happened to this check and they're like yeah that's it <laughs> i'm sorry and i was like what's going on like it was a whole new world in that way but I was like doing a bad job as a teacher. I felt like I was hundred percent committed to the work, but th- I wasn't reaching a lot of the students who looked like me, who were like, I mean, there's some kids I've learned as a teacher. There's some students that if you don't show up as a teacher, they'll make up their own homework. Mm. Like, you know, you come back after a day away, they're like, here's my homework. I'm like, there was no homework yesterday. Like, no, I made up my own. <laughs> but some students, you can go to their house and deliver the homework and they're not doing no homework. So you have all kinds of students you're dealing with. And I saw students who were really smart, but were doing no work. And I was like, why am I, what's wrong? You're smart. I can see it. Why are you not doing the work? And I knew that those are students I wanted to reach. And so I invited some young people to lunch. I said, look, some young men, I said, look, I'll buy you lunch once a week in exchange for lunch. I want you to teach me how to be a better teacher. And that's how the Ever4 Club started. It was those lunch meetings that was like me trying to figure out, look, if I'm going to stay in teaching, I better learn how to do a good job at it because I can't blame the students that you're not learning. You're smart, I can see you're smart, but why are you not learning? Well, either I'm not engaging you enough or I haven't found the spark that's gonna help light your fire so that you can be who you dream of being. And that's how it all started in 2004. And um, it's been a wild 16 year journey. You know, I, I never thought I would be teaching this long or be in education this long, but I'm clear that how the journey, I think what um, as Steve Jobs said, you, you can put the dots together looking backwards. When are going forward, you're just like, what the heck was I thinking? Why would I leave all this money to come into a job where you first know appreciation? Everyone says it's noble, but I don't know if that's really appreciating you or just like some great way to make it make you feel good. right but like noble effort or yeah, yeah. Yeah, such a noble job you have. Wow. Wow. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: But As I an... think Yeah. So what is it like
2: for you or what has it been like for you mentoring youth? Has there been a common theme that has shown up? Has there been, uh, was there a, a point along the way where you're going, ah, okay, I'm on, I'm, I'm really on some kind of mission here.
1: I think that those first lunch meetings was when it all kicked off. Like I was, I was in a point of like loss. Like I was like, maybe I should go back to be an engineer because I'm a good engineer and I make a lot of money, but I'm being a bad teacher and I'm not making no money. So I was feeling like, first of all, um, professionally, like a failure, financially, like a failure and on other su- every measure of success. Like, what am I doing? I'm not even I, I want to be here, but I'm not making a difference in a big way. I'm not making I'm not making a living that I can even live off of for the most part. Um, so I think that what happened was when, those, when I invited those gentlemen to lunch and they began to talk about stuff. I used to, talk, I used to think about when I was in high school. When I was in middle school, because when I got my act together, I was already in in my last year of middle school. I realized, oh, they didn't have a Miss BP. Mm -hmm. They didn't have anybody who caught them and said, hey, you're not on the right road. Get to the right road because you're too smart to be playing like you're dumb. And that is when I I realized, oh, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing what Miss BP did for me, but I'm going to do it in a different way. Because I'm doing it primarily for these young men in my class who I identify with who I'm and I think that's how it happened that that's what kicked it off and when I saw them they were responsive to it they they showed up now we had we had lunch every week so maybe they showed up for the food and Mm -hmm. I was a couple of young men said yeah I originally just came for the food but they realized that it was more than just food it was a brotherhood and I think that I was building what I needed at that time you know even when I got my act together academically I was still struggling emotionally and socially in high school I mean I was a almost a 3.9 student but emotionally i didn't have anybody to talk to about stuff i was man it was it was it was pretty lonely in that way because you just keep it to yourself
2: and so what age were you when you began the first step first the
1: the ever forward club wow i gotta subtract 16 from where i'm at now I, mean, <laughs> I was like <laughs> i think i was 20 something late my my late 20s i think i was 60 14 16 Actually, I'm a math teacher. I should be able to do this math pretty quick. I feel like 28, maybe 28, 27, 20, Because so I was in college for six years. College took me six years, right? College was tough for me. So it took me six years to graduate as an engineer in Cal Poly. So, yeah, I, it was like 28 around there.
2: Well, it's interesting to see the evolution of the Ever Forward Club because uh, you were awarded a Fulbright Exchange Fellowship to India, yeah. Rotary Club Cultural Ambassadorial Fellowship to Mexico, and in twenty ten, teacher of the year award from the Alameda Contra Costa County Math Educators, which yeah. all that brilliant. And the fact that you're mentoring youth, another you know fascinating thing. What do you feel that they are resonating with with
1: you? You know what we what we tried to create was a space where young people were seen, where they were heard, where they felt like there is somebody who in this space lets me speak what I really feel, what I'm going through. And I think that what we created, when I was really, look, there was no, there was no curriculum. There was no blueprint. There was no other clubs at the school that were supporting these young men. The young men had a lot, they, the school had a lot of clubs. They had like the, the environmental club and they had the student body club who did all this fun stuff. Like there was no clubs that were like, we're about building community and connection. There wasn't, they did exist. And so what happened was, I, I think deep down, I just got to a place where I was like, if we let these young men see how valuable they are. Like, if you don't do your work in high school, I was, a, I was an algebra teacher. So algebra is a gatekeeper. You don't pass algebra in California. You don't graduate high school. It's just, you have to pass two math classes to graduate high school. That's just part of the rules. So what do you do if a young person is not passing algebra? They're setting themselves up to not graduate. So at some point, either they wait too late and they have to go to adult school or they have to go to a continuation school because they can't get credits. I'm like, look, let me help paint a picture for you of how you want life to look. If you're trying to graduate in four years, then you're going to have to change how you're showing up right now because this first year adds up to the fourth year. If you don't take care of this stuff in the first year, you're going to not be able to make it through the four years. And so I think I was just pay- I was painting the picture. I said, like, here's what I'm seeing you do. Is this what you're trying to do? Like, here's, here's what I'm noticing. Is this what you're trying to make me notice? And I just we try to reflect back to them how they're behaving. Because if you're 13 or 14, you're kind of immature. You may not have – by the time I was 13, I had already probably cooked several hundred meals. I had changed many diapers and bottles, and I've done, I was raising children at 13. If you're 13 and you ain't done a whole lot, you could just be an immature kid who's just trying to figure it out. So I'm trying to paint a picture for them. Like life is bigger out there if you don't get it together right now. And I because I had gone to college, I, I didn't go to college to be a teacher. I went to college to be an engineer, which is a very demanding and you got to go through a lot of extra work. If you have a goal, I tell students, oh, I just want to graduate so I can get a job. I'm like, well, look, the way you are going? You ain't going to graduate. <laughs> so maybe if you're just trying to, if that's all your only goal in life is to get a job, that that's going to be pretty easy to do if you just take care of this basic stuff. But if you don't take care of it now, You're sabotaging your 18-year-old self who's not going to graduate, and then it makes it limited on how many jobs you can get. I was just trying to paint the picture of what they were doing and how I was going to set them up for not what they think they were trying to get. And so my job was, like, ask a lot of questions. I didn't do a whole lot of advice. I mean, I I have advice, but I was more like, tell me what you want, what you're trying to do, what your goals are. Okay, so right now, this looks like this. Uh, you're, you're, you're You're not even getting close. So tell me what you need to change. So, like, I would ask a lot of questions to help them, like, make their own story of what they're going to do. What are you going to do to change your life? And when we started the club, what young men got to do is I would ask young men, hey, who can help him? I wanted them to hear from each other because they had enough wisdom in the room to solve all their problems. But most of them were either too, like, they never asked anybody. They never stopped long enough to think about, oh, wait a minute. If I'm failing every class, I'm not really going to graduate. And therefore, I'm not going to get a job and buy what I think I'm gonna buy when I get a job in the future. And so what we began to do is just shift their thinking and have each other do the peer mentoring to help also through that. And then they realized their dreams were actually bigger. Their dreams were bigger than just graduating high school. They wanted they wanted to have a big life. And that means they had to work harder. And that's how we began to just do it without them coming to a place. If I if I told students, come to a club where we're gonna get you into college, not in the community I was working in, that wasn't, the goal of those young men in that class, our club was how do we make school fun while we're here? Let's make, let's make school fun. And then we'll figure the, we'll help you figure the goals and things out later. But that's how we started. And so in those early days, people were like, are you starting a college prep club? I'm like, no, there's another organization. There are other organizations that are doing that. I'm trying to work with the kids who are on their way to dropping out because when you're failing algebra, you're not on track to graduating. When you're not showing up to school 80% of the time, or you're only showing up 80, 80% is actually a danger zone. You can't show up only 80% of the time and and still have the academic success that, you know, that's one of the measurements. If you're getting referrals and suspended because of behavior, you're showing the early warning signs are dropping out. So why don't we show them what they're doing to themselves, paint the picture of what it looks like down the road, and then ask them, is that what you want? And that's where the young men began to thrive. And so I, I think that early on, I was not, I didn't know I was starting a nonprofit, like if you told me I was creating a nonprofit, I would have been like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm already a teacher. You don't get more nonprofit than that. Like, <laughs> I didn't think it was possible to get more nonprofit than teaching. But right. uh, I right. found out you can. I found out you can. And so now there are there 10 or more than 10 ever forward clubs? So, so it's been an ebb and flow of the clubs, right? Like trying to figure out the model that scales and that grows. Um, I think that right now, this year, we actually only have three clubs going into the year. Because we started after the documentary came out in 2015, The Mask You Live In, we began to put a lot of energy into the 100,000 Mask Challenge, our, our global movement. And so, what's been happening is, you know, when I was just a teacher running one club and then running two and then growing the clubs, um, that's when we only had Ever four Club as the programs. Then we realized, well, our work is in many areas. How do we have more leverage? Well, if I go into a school and work with 10, 20 young men, that's beautiful. But if I can go into a school and work with the teachers, and help them get more well, so that they can be better to work with the students, then I can have a bigger leverage effect, right? So we began to like, when I, when I left my fellowship at Stanford, I did a fellowship at Stanford at the D school, that really work began to like ex- expand our work into growing, to serving educators as well, so that they can have a ripple effect on students in their schools, and then doing work with parents and teachers and social workers who are working with students and young people in all kinds of areas. Yeah,
2: beautiful. You mentioned the the mask challenge, the 100,000 Mask Challenge.
1: Yeah. And
2: I'd love to talk more about that right now and, and and how that is evolving
1: and what we need to know. Yeah, so 100,000 Mask Challenge was uh, a campaign we created to help people around the world realize they're not alone. And it, it, it's, a, it's a simple task. It's a one picture and six words. And we have a card that people use. Uh, there's a tool we use. Um, it's, you know, we can see really well. I'll, I'll, I'll share this with you so you can see it. Um, and there's a website. So we, we created a digital tool, especially during this COVID time. We have created a digital tool. Um, we were a LinkedIn Compassion Award finalist, and that helped us to really get this site built. And so it's uh, 100kmasks.com. Um, and and, the, and the, actual, the, the campaign is actually growing because this year, this summer, these interns are growing it into another movement uh, to collect a million masks from around the world. And so what happens is the mask is three parts. The front of the mask is the things that we gladly let people see. And the back of the mask are things that we normally don't let people see.
2: So, yeah, explain that a little more. So I I remember this at Wisdom 2.0 because I received this wonderful card you gave me. And that write down on one side this thing and write down (laughs) on the other side that thing. (laughs) So, so, uh, but I think you can explain it a little more eloquently than I can.
1: Yeah, so, I, so I'm going I'm to show you a mask. And so basically, if you look, on the left side is the front of the mask. These are the things that we gladly let people see. These are the things on the front. This is a 13-year-old male from Jacksonville.
2: So he writes happy, loving, uh, funny, wild, uh, and a few other things. Outgoing. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. That's the front of the mask. These are the things that we gladly let people see. And then the back of the mask are the things that we normally don't talk about or don't let people see. And so he
2: wrote sad, confused, depressed, scared, bound. Uh might have might have bound something. Yeah. Uh, he's 13 years old. Yeah. And he put D S D there.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: At 13 years old.
1: Yeah. Might have to, he says it might have to change. Bound in Chains, something like that, Scared, ADHD, yeah, just, and, and these, are, and this is, I mean, this is not, I mean, this is absolutely beautiful, right, but it, we see this all over, we see it all over, we see it all different ages, here's a, here's a man, uh, 53 years old, I'm, I'm gonna show you this one, and um, I'll send these to you so you can see them also, but I think hopefully people can see them, um, the front, everything's okay, Mr. Normal, funny, upbeat, right. clever. In the back, stress, concerns, awkward, uncomfortable, issues, tied in knots. Hmm. From a 13 year old young man to a 53 year old man from the other side of the country, Jacksonville, Florida, Oakland, California. Like, imagine like, how different we think people are because they live over there or they're in that place or they're that age. Oh, you're 53, you should have it all figured out. We're all, we're all wearing, wearing some masks. And and, and and I'm not talking about the masks that people will see people wearing right now on the street to protect themselves from this virus. I'm talking about these proverbial masks. <laughs> Imagine the fact that I think even right now people are getting a more sense of how masks uh, keep us con- uh, disconnected. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I was gonna. Like, it's interesting the like you, this whole hundred thousand mask challenge developed, and now we are
1: literally behind masks. You know, millions of them. millions it's if not if not billions if not billions of people in the last six months have worn a mask to protect themselves from something you can't even see Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and imagine how many masks we have to wear every day that people can't even see to protect us from what we are seeing and experiencing oh look at that one I I gotta write that one down
2: it's probably tweetable too (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but don't. Oh man, it's really good. That's really good. But I, I, it's interesting because um, some of us, many of us, may not uh, feel that there's a safety or permission to express how we're really feeling, right? And yes, so right. we have this external veneer, and that's going on. But what's really going on is all that stuff, uh, right. you know, within within uh this so so there's a so there's a mass challenge going on right now and your yeah. goal
1: is to uh, well our, our goal the original goal was a hundred thousand masks we call it the 100k masks challenge so 100,000 masks and then we were like we've been working really hard on this and I was like the original goal was called the million mask movement and what we've been doing what we with our interns this summer, we have like six young men who are in high school their uh their their job this summer, is to create a campaign for the Million Mask Movement. So we're actually just up, we're upgrading the challenge. Like I felt like we our goal was maybe too small. Maybe the hundred thousand wasn't exciting enough. So <laughs> we, we, we're upgrading the movement. I mean, we're, you know, the first goal is still a hundred thousand. Got to get there before you get to a million. But we're we're setting the goal to collect a million masks from around the world. We have so far have uh, forty-four thousand masks from sixteen countries, um, and that's just with a little small team of you know a small nonprofit that is now. But we're, we're in a phase right now where I think that people are becoming more aware, and I think that we're, we're, we're connecting these dots, and um, we're going to get people to make masks from around the world, and I'm super excited about that.
2: And for people to learn about that, they can go to the everforwardclub.com,
1: right? .org, .org. Everforwardclub.org,
2: folks. Um, yeah.
1: And you can see it all there and learn it all there. You can make a mask and you can make a mask online. It's digital. So some people, when we go to workshops, we had live workshops. People would make masks on these cards. Um, when, when we now are not live with people, we can, they can go online and make their mask and they can see the fact that there are people from all over the world and probably in their same city or some, in that same age group, or probably their same gender um, who are dealing with similar things. And it's right. Recognizing that, wow, I'm not alone. Like I mean, somebody else, imagine if you were 13 and going through all this stuff and you thought you, nobody else was going through it, but you saw well, a 53 year old man on the other side of the country who has similar words as mine. His words are just fancier. Right. You know what I'm saying?
2: I would do this with you right now, actually. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, I don't know if you want to do one too. Do you want to do one? I will. Absolutely. Okay. I'll just take a piece of paper. There you go. And the way we do on a piece of paper, you just fold it in half and then you just use the left side and the right side. Okay. Take like a piece of paper. Yep. Fold it in half, and on the left side is the exterior of what I'm presenting to the world. Right. the the fir- the first The first step is to, on the left side to so just draw a mask. Draw a simple mask or whatever you okay. think a mask looks like. Yep. Okay. And then on that side, where the mask is, think of the mask as a representation of you, what are three things that you gladly let the world see? What are three qualities of yourself that you gladly show the world? Oh we can everyone can do this at, at this moment too <laughs> absolutely absolutely you can do it on the website when you're you can go to, yep you can go to 100kmasks.com and make it on the website or you can do it on paper and then just take a picture of it and share it with us you know that's that's how we are able to keep track of like where we're at around the world you know okay. people sometimes just email us randomly or send a text to our to our number and um yeah and so the back is what are three things that you normally don't let people see okay. what are three qualities or characteristics that you normally don't talk about or don't let people see whatever you're feeling right there that's 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 when the workshop gets real real for a lot of people in our live workshops and even when we're doing the digital ones yeah just say just take a breath right there take a breath just whatever you're feeling just take a breath all right and what I want you to recognize right now what you're feeling wherever you're feeling is that people all over the world have, have been doing this And we have people who are afraid in that moment. They're like, whoa, what what did I just write on this card?" And we're in this live workshop. People sometimes are like, "Uh uh-oh, who's going to see this, right? Even though they're anonymous. I guess anonymous, right? Now You and I, what you just asked me to do right now is beautiful because it's actually going to be the theme of our new podcast called Taking Off the Mask, where we invite people on the show to just um, go through this experience together, making a mask. What'd that feel like? What would it be like if you could be, if you didn't have to keep this stuff on the back of the mask? What would it be like to have a place where you could talk more about what's on the back of the mask? Like that's what we're asking people to be able to recognize. And what you saw with those men that we just saw, like here's another student. They're not all men. Let me show a female. Like what we see all over is that people are clear that they have a mask. And so what we do is when we meet people, um, there's this book by Malcolm Gladwell called um, "Talking to Strangers," powerful book. If you haven't read it, I mean, absolutely powerful. Like when we meet somebody. As a stranger, we're meeting their mask. We meet who they want us to see about them, what they're willing to let us see about them, and there's so much stuff that we can't see. And I think that what we're talking about today, and in in, in what we talked about this, start this call with is what's going on in our world, is this police, these challenges with police, right? When we, they meet one of us, and when they meet me, I can't tell they're afraid of me, I, I'm afraid of them. So what happens when two afraid people are trying to pretend like they're not really afraid, and now there's we're not being genuine in how we're communicating? I'm nervous that I'm going to die. They may be nervous that they think I'm going to do something to them, and we're operating on these different types of places, but we're not talking about what we're feeling. We're, we're wearing our mask around it. And right. I think that that's how we do it. And so I, I'll, I'll share my mask because I think this is, is you know, and, and I would say you don't have to share yours, but I think once you think about it. Share. Sure. <laughs> oh, right on. Right on that. And so yes, I, sure. I, the vision for this, for my the podcast is going to look like this. It'll be like the person would have made a mask. I'd make a mask. Take a breath. And then we just, I, I just tell you what I wrote in the front. And I'll tell you what I think I let people see. And then I'll tell you what I, we decide we're going to, Get to the place where the person says, hmm, I don't know if I want to tell, but we'll just maybe tell one of them, right? Maybe tell. So. Um, so, you want me to go first? Sure. Okay. So, on the front, I wrote uh, funny, serious, hardworking. That's the, that's the, I should have just showed you how I should have covered it up. But the funny, serious, hardworking is the front, is what I, I try and let people see. Um, and the things I normally don't talk about, things I normally don't talk about, I don't talk much about It's a fear of failure sadness about death and sometimes feeling not enough mm. Mm. and those are those are parts of my mask
2: yeah taking that in yeah like really taking that in thank you for sharing yeah, thank <clears throat> you for asking yeah um, I guess I can share mine. So it's outgoing, funny, and strong, right? Yeah. And then on the back, vulnerable, frightened, and uncertain. Yeah. 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 And being in this moment with you and having um, the space for that, these moments, like your moments and my moment, uh, that is quite powerful. It's quite powerful.
1: And, and, and imagine what well, we tell educators and students and teachers, and we, and we, we give this campaign away. We create it so that people could come together and build community and recognize there's way more going on than any of us would ever know just by looking at each other. Like, I, I, I tell people, we're not telling people they shouldn't have masks. We're just saying. Do you have a safe place to go and talk about it? Or do you have a place to go and take it off? Because what we know is that it can be exhausting if all day long I'm trying to be happy, funny, and hard working, and I never get to recognize that I'm, man, I'm working so hard, but I don't feel like it's moving the needle where it needs to move. Mm. And luckily I have a men's, I have a team of men. I'm on a men's team. Luckily, we've created a space for young men to come together and say, How are you doing for real? Like, like, for real, for real, you know? And to know that you have a place that people are going to listen, not try and fix you, help you if you want help, but just a whole space so you can just be heard and seen, that's what we need. That's what we, our world needs more of. And I think that what 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 has been happening and just this onslaught of emotions happening is that people haven't had a place to talk about how they feel. They've been told that they shouldn't feel what they're feeling. They've been told that what they're feeling is unreasonable right and then, right and yeah. in the storm you
2: have a, a workshop in september 18th through 20th men in masks returning to the authentic self at esalen mm-hmm. uh, which promises to be illuminating uh, and, and folks you can learn more about that at esalen.org slash learn um before we um i have a few more questions for you before we finish up Uh, and um, uh, I'm just kind of sitting in the moment in that sort of rich (laughs) uh, beauty of what what just occurred between us. Um,
1: Let me just thank you before you ask the question. I just wanna say thank you.
2: You're welcome. Thank you you for doing that. Yeah, thank you. Um, What brings you a real sense of
1: wonder and awe? Um when what you just did right there, like your curiosity of being willing to make a mask and to share it. You know, everyone who makes a mask, these are all the cars that I've gotten over the months and years. I, I don't know who the people are, um, but when I meet people and I work with the young people, that what brings me all is that people, they want to be heard. And I, and I love to listen and I, and I love to connect I try and use my ears and my mouth in the same ratio. I try and listen twice as much as I talk, you know, and I, and I try and hold space for people to be, to be seen. And that's, that's what brings me awe is that this work, the, this simple one picture and six words have created profound experiences in young people and older people and adults and people who are trying to figure it out. And that's been beautiful that I get to do what I, what I believe I was born to do every day. And even though I don't have the financial status in my life that I dreamed of having when I was 16 years old and I was on my way to Cal Poly, but I'm clear that this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm, I'm, I wake up every day thankful and, and happy. It's beautiful,
2: it's
1: beautiful.
2: Thank you for sharing yeah, thank you. that. Thank you for that. Um, I have one more question for you. Um, what is our next best step as a society, do you think? And maybe we've talked about that. And maybe it's something like this, too, with the masks,
1: yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that this other, the other day with my interns. And I said, you know, what are we going to do next? And I think the best, next best step is for people to get to a place of courage where they're willing to speak up for those who don't have it what they, they like they have it. I think it's time for... I think for people who are like, you know what? I've been noticing things that are not the way that I think they should be. I feel it. I'm going to not keep silent about it. And I think that that's what we need. We, we, we all have the power in today's society to have our voice heard in some kind of platform. And if we are able to, to drown, I think Bob Marley said, you know, he he, went, he he got shot the night before he did a concert, maybe a night and a half before. He went to the concert anyway, and he said, the good people have to work harder than the bad people. The bad people don't stop. And I say bad, you can use whatever, however you want to concern bad. But the people who are doing evil in the world, they're not stopping. So the people who are thinking good and believing good and wanting to bring good, we gotta keep working. You can't get tired and doing good. Sometimes it feels like I'm doing so much good and it's not working, so we can just get tired and we get weary. But the people who are out doing the other stuff, they're not getting tired they're expecting us to wear out. So then we just go back to the way things used to be. And so I think that the, the the challenge is for those people who have a a heart to say, I am going to put my voice to making change. We all have that. We all have that in our hands. We all have that in our pockets. (laughs) We have a device in our pockets that absolutely has power. And no matter how much you think about these devices, like it is where attention is today.
2: Mm.
1: Like, the television is only doing holding space in many of our homes. <laughs> this is the device where people's eyes are around the world. And I just think that we have a opportunity to, to make a difference. And I ask people that don't sit back and I think, and I am to be as, as clear as I can to people, like there's no room for people to be in neutral to say, I am not racist. We're going to get really clear. I think is a leaving very a clear note for me. We need people who are saying I'm anti-racist, like you, you, because the neutral is on the side of the people who have the power. Mm-hmm. And as in a society that has created what it has created, where we are right now, we need people who are saying I'm against this. And I think that that's what we need right now. And I think what we're seeing is people starting to do that, I and mean, that's been so beautiful. Is that people are saying I'm against this. I'm not going to silently say it to my friends or my one friend. I'm going to say it so people know, and it's not to—it's not to brag or boast. It's to say I want this world to be different, and I think that if we get more people who really believe that we can have a different world, that a better world is possible, saying that, and I think that we can do it. I believe that it's going to take hard work, but I believe it can be done. Movement, action. Yeah.
2: There you go. Ashanti, uh, such a pleasure to connect with you again, and uh, thank you for this time. The work that you do in the world—it's uh, quite stunning, and it, the ripple effects are felt uh, definitely. Folks, you can find and learn more about Ashanti at everforward.org.
1: I know you're on social at, media. Everforward Ever Club. Everforward Ever
2: Club. Club.org. Club. You got that, and then on Instagram
1: at Everforward Club.
2: At Ever Forward Club as well. And yep. Twitter? At EverForward Club. All those at, at Ever Forward Club. <laughs> that's so, it. Right. That's very easy. <laughs> uh, and your workshop in September 18th through 20th at Esalen is Men in Mask, Returning to the Authentic Self. Go to esalen.org slash learn. Uh, Stay in touch with us uh, on our website. We have all sorts of uh, blogs and uh, stories there for you to connect, especially during this uh, curious time, the beginning of this new decade. Uh, Ashanti Branch, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you.
0: Thanks for being Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Voices of Esalen. Today's show is produced in conjunction with Cheryl Franzel, Terry Gilby, Greg Archer, Shannon Hudson, and Kelly McKay. Our theme music is by Nico Holloman. You can find all of our podcasts on your favorite podcast player as well as at Esalen.org. The Esalen Institute is a nonprofit organization. Our show is made possible by your contributions.